Yes, have a seat today. I'm going to steal somebody's music stand up here. Good morning, Providence. How are you guys doing this morning? Good. At least seven of you are doing good. I'm happy to hear that. Hey, my name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here and excited to be with you here this morning uh, during this core team phase where we're really aligning our hearts with what God is calling us to do. And one of the things um, that we're doing is we're going through our core values and we're talking about the core value of community. And so for the last uh, two weeks and for the next two weeks, we're going to be talking about community and, and basically saying, okay, if if community is really that important to us, what really is it? Like, what does the Bible really have to say about community? And so two weeks ago, I got up here and I talked about unity and the fact that that when it comes to the body of Christ, that there is no one superior, there's no one inferior, there's no outsiders, there's no insiders. We all stand on level ground at the foot of the cross. That's gospel-centered unity. Now, last week, Kent came up here, and, and he talked about, he went hard, right? You guys remember Kent's message? That was a good word, right? He talked about loving one another, and the fact is that if we are going to be a true community centered on Jesus, we've got to truly love. And he challenged us that, that a lot of times when we don't love, uh, it's maybe not that the other person is unlovable, but it's really that our own selfishness gets in the way. And so we learned about love last week, and this week we're going to talk about something uh, that is near and dear to my heart. It's, it's something I'm pretty passionate about, and that is this, authenticity. So we're going to talk about authentic community today, and I believe that God has called us to live in true, genuine authentic community. You know, if I go around, as I've gone around, and I've asked like a lot of college students and, and young adults, and I ask them, hey, what are you guys looking for in a church? Like, like what's really, what really sticks out to you about a church that you really like? And, and almost inevitably, one of their first responses will be, it's authentic, or there's authenticity to it. Now, there's a problem though, right? with this whole idea of authenticity. I don't know if I'm alone in this, but a lot of times I walk into a church gathering, I walk into a small group, I walk into a Bible study, and, and I'm looking for authenticity, and I walk in and I walk out, and I think, man, that was really awkward. Like, people are not even friends. Like, we walked in there to have a good conversation, and there was that one guy who talked the entire time. No one wanted to hear him talk because he was kind of annoying. That was boring, awkward, not real, not authentic, Right? So you get frustrated with these, these kind of church functions, and then you look back in your Bible, you open up Acts 2, and you see this picture of this community, and you're like, wait a minute, these guys had, they shared life together. They were in each other's houses every day. They ate meals together. They saw miraculous works of God together. They, they, they saw when, when someone else had a need, they literally would sell something that they had to give money to people who had need. They were self-sacrificial in everything they did. And on top of that, God was, it says, adding to their number daily. He was saving people every day. And, and, and when I hear this, my heart comes alive, and I'm like, man, I want to I see the miracles of God. I want close-knit friendships. I want to see something real and authentic like that. I assume you guys are with me, right? You don't want lame, cheesy, boring community. You want real, authentic, God-centered community. And I think that we all want this, but a lot of times we, we rarely experience it in our church experiences. So today we're going to talk about authentic community. Now, Here's, there's a little problem in my research as I was studying this topic this week, and that was, so I was all jacked up on 
on authenticity, and I thought, okay, I'm going to go look at some of my favorite pastors, authors, Christian leaders. I'm going to go look for some books, some articles, videos, some stats, some research. It's going to be amazing. They're really going to help me out. And as I was doing this research, literally everything I came across was warning against authenticity. And it said, hey, beware of this. It, it could spell trouble for your church. And I'm like, what? And so I was sitting down. Then a couple days after this, it was just like, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday, I was sitting down in a coffee shop and I was studying for this sermon. And I had a, a, a Bible college professor who I know from the past. He came up and he's like, hey, man, what are you doing? I'm like, well, studying for a sermon. He said, what's your topic? And I said, well, I'm talking about authentic community. And he goes, ooh, be careful with that one. He goes, you could really lead some people down a wrong path. And I'm like, wait, what is going on here? Like, I thought authenticity was good. We all want this, and now these people are saying it's bad. What, what is really the deal here? And I realized that, that true Jesus-centered authenticity doesn't have just one enemy, but it has two. And so if you're going to walk the road of authenticity, you're going to walk this road toward Jesus, there's one of two ditches that you can fall into. And on one side, you have this shallow, kind of lame, kind of cheesy, fake Christian community over here. And on this other side, which is also a ditch that you can fall into, it, it comes from the world's version of authenticity, which essentially states this. It's you do you. You just be how you are. Whatever feels good for you, that's authenticity. Whatever your opinion is, if it's inside of you, go ahead and share it. If you have some sort of conviction on your heart, let the entire world know. If you feel a certain way, just let it all hang out and everyone should come around and clap and celebrate you for being you. You do you. It's staying true to yourself. Now, in Providence, both of these ditches are dangerous. In John, the author of the passage that we heard before, he's going to tell us uh, that true and authentic Jesus-centered community is possible, but there is a, a way that you have to bring yourself out of the ditch and, and get aligned with Jesus again. And he's going to tell us, essentially, that, that the path to that is, is, first of all, it starts with you, and it starts in your heart. And then you've got to admit in your heart that, hey, I'm a little messed up, and I may not have everything right. And then from there, you need to go and find Christian community. And, and in that place of being messed up, you've got to find this community and, and just admit to them, hey, I want Jesus to change me. You've got to be willing to, to step out of your messed upness and say, Jesus, rescue me from this. Kind of like that song was talking about just a second ago. Now, I know this isn't completely clear now, but I aim to make this clear and explain a little bit of what this looked like. And honestly, Providence, I'm kind of excited for this because these verses have been rocking me personally this week, and I desperately want us to experience this authentic kind of community that's possible in Jesus. And so I want us to open our Bibles. We're going to get a little bit real about sin. So if you're new today, uh, we don't always, uh, don't always talk about sin as the first and foremost thing, but hey, you walked in on an interesting morning, so here we go. First John 1 John 1.5. So First John 1.5 it's a setup for our, our passage today, and it says this. This is the message we have heard from him, who's Jesus. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no 
darkness at all. Now, before we get to these ditches or these struggles that I was talking about, we've got to start from the right place. So John, the author of this passage, he was one of Jesus' closest friends, and he's an old man at this time, and he has this care for his flock, and he wants to guide them, and he wants to guide them into uh, walking in the light to this true Jesus-centered authenticity. And, and at this point, he's saying, but before, you, before I talk about how you've messed up, you, you need to know something. I've got to establish a truth, and it's this, that God is light, and in him is no darkness. Now, essentially what he's saying, so, so think about drawing two circles, a circle over here and a circle over here. And in this circle, you have God and, and light, okay? And what that means intellectually, that God is light, that that means that God is true, or God is truth, that everything about him is true. If you find something true that's out there in the world, ultimately you can trace that back to God. Everything about God, everything in the world that reflects truth, it's, it all comes back to God being light. Now in a moral sense, it means, light means that God is good. It means that he is good in every way, that God will never manipulate you, he'll never deceive you, He's all good. He'll never do evil. He'll never mistreat you. He's not ignorant in any way. And if you get close to him, if you draw close to God, you're not going to get close and then realize, oh, God's got some, he's got some dirty secrets, or he's got some skeletons in the closet that I just found out about. No, no, the fact of God being light is that the closer you draw near to him, the more good you realize that he actually is, and that all hope and joy and peace is actually found in God. God is light. Now over here in this other circle is a circle of darkness. John says, John is implying in this that, that, that all this darkness, all this in your world, this evil that you've ever felt, pain that you've ever experienced, hurt that you've ever had, uh, that's darkness. Any of the horrendous stories that you've heard on the news, that's darkness. There's the terrorist attacks that we know about, the, the homelessness that we are, yeah, the homeless issue that we have. That's, that's darkness. The addictions, the pains that we have, all of this belongs in this circle of darkness. And, and none of this darkness is associated with God over here. And John's going to go on to say that, that this darkness that exists, it exists around every corner, but one of the main problems is, is that it exists in the depths of your heart. All of our hearts. So the selfishness that Kent talked about last week, that's darkness inside of you. The, the superiority, the pride that I talked about two weeks ago, that's part of the darkness. Any sort of hate, bitterness, judgment that's inside of you, that's part of the darkness. There's darkness and then there's God. And so what John is trying to, to paint a picture of, it's kind of like fish in water. Okay, stick with me here. So if someone would ask a fish, hey, how does the water feel? Well, first of all, they'd probably say, well, actually fish don't talk, so they probably wouldn't say anything. But, but they would say, oh, I don't know. It's the only thing I know. It's my only reality. It's the, the thing that I breathe. It's literally the water that they swim in. Fish don't know about water because they're surrounded by it all the time. And for us, the darkness inside and the darkness outside is our water. 
It's the world that we live in. It clouds our thoughts, limits our interactions. It, it tempts us, and, and sadly, we're subject to everyone else's darkness around us, too. It's so prevalent that, that we don't really know anything different. Now, I heard um, Tim Keller uh, teach on this passage once, and he, um, he gave some di- great diagnostic questions or some enlightening questions on this when he's talking about our lives overlapping with darkness. He said, why do you think you're always in pain or you're consistently in pain from the way that people treat you? There's darkness. Why are we always disappointed when we put our hope in earthly things? Whether it's our job or our skills or our personality or our bank account or, or, or marriage or our kids. It leaves us disappointed. Or how about this? Why, why do I keep judging people all the time? Why can't I just selflessly love people? You see, darkness is everywhere, and it keeps us from God, and it's really the the reason that we can't experience this true community. Now, John, the author, is about to show us how we can get from this darkness and get back to light, but but first, he wants to get a little bit deeper into the problem that we have. And and so, this first ditch that I'm going to talk about, I'm going to call denying the darkness, okay? Denying the darkness. So let's read verse 6. It's the next verse that we have, and it says... If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now, this says point blank that having fellowship with God while you're walking in this place of darkness is just not possible. Like to be with God and to do that, it's like if you say you're doing that, you're lying. You're not telling the truth. And and what was happening specifically, the background of this text in this day, is that there were a group of people called Gnostics, or there's a specific group of them around John's church, and these people had defected from John's church. And, and the reason why is, well, I'll tell you first what they believed. So these Gnostics, in a very simple way, they believed that the spiritual world was good and the physical world was bad. So their spirit and their soul was good, but their own bodies, they were bad. They saw their bodies as kind of this necessary envelope that enclosed the good part, which was their soul. Now, because of that, these Gnostics, they left John's church as they kind of threw their bodily, their their morality and their body, they threw that kind of to the wind, because they're like, okay, if my body is bad, then it doesn't really matter what I do with it. And so, some of these Gnostics in John, that were in John's church, they got caught up in things like drunkenness, and they just did kind of whatever they wanted. They got caught up in, in sexual sin, all sorts of sexual immorality, just doing whatever they wanted to, whenever they wanted to, because it was just their body, and it didn't matter. And it was just a sin that was associated with their body. And so they essentially said, I can, I can live with my body however I want to. And I can still walk with God at the same time. And John says, no, 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 no. You're, you're not getting it. You can't have fellowship with God and walk in darkness at the same time. Now, I want to tie this to worldly authenticity for a second. So uh, this is the kind that, that my professor warned me about. So the push in our culture that we see, the hero story belongs to, the, this high virtue goes to people who express themselves and, and they're just real about who they are. They express themselves as unique and, and they're not willing to conform to what anyone else says. 
and they're going to stick it to the world and say, okay, you can do whatever you want to, but I'm going I'm to be me. I'm going to do it the way that I want to because anything from the outside would stifle their originality. And so you look to the inside and, 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 and whatever feels true for me, that's what's going to be true. And, and as people are doing this in our culture, everyone looks around and says, yes, you do you. You're the hero because you're being who you truly are. And what has happened is this world's ultimate quest for you do you, authenticity, has, has leaked into the church. And, and we've started thinking this way, and we say, if it feels good, then, then it's okay. You know, if we're two people, and, and we're dating, and we, and we really love each other, and it feels right, we can do whatever we want. We can have sex whenever we want, because it feels good. You know, when I walk into church gatherings, they, they feel kind of stuffy to me. And so it, I, I'm just not feeling it. And so I'm just going to withdraw from that. I, kinda, I like Jesus, but I don't really like the church. Or maybe you're like, you know, I, my parents told me that alcohol was the devil when I was a kid. That beer was the devil. And so I learned that Jesus turned water to wine, so he must be okay with it. So I'm just going to do whatever I want to with alcohol. Partying, going over the line, getting drunk all the time. It's It's... It's okay, and it's this theory of see what's good for you, and you'll be happy. But that's not what the passage says. It says that God is light. You know, that in him is found joy, hope, and peace. So I had this, <clears throat> I had this friend uh, several years ago. I'll call him Matt. And Matt came uh, and got involved in our church that I, was, that, that I was a part of at the time. And he came in, and people started really enjoying him, and he became someone who was, was kind of a pillar in our community, and he was on the track to becoming a leader, a small group leader in our church community, and uh, he was a really cool dude, smart, uh, intellectual, people loved him, he loved people, it was all great, now, and he even brought some of his friends around, <clears throat> and Matt, um, he and his friends, after a while, they started feeling a little bit restricted by some of our standards, and they like Jesus, but this whole idea of coming to our church on Sunday, they just, it, it wasn't really doing it for them because it, it, was, it was not authentic enough. And so they were not okay with that. And um, when we were clear about our definition of we believe that sex is designed for a couple in marriage and they weren't married, they didn't really like that. And so they did with sex what they wanted to. And with alcohol, they weren't willing to put any, any lines on the ground with, with alcohol. And, and so after a while, they just felt this community was too restricting. And Matt and his friends, they just bowed out, which is pretty sad. They just left all together. And so a couple months later, I called him up and I reached out to him. And I said, dude, can we get together and, and talk about just life, just catch up a little bit? And so we got together. And when I talked to him, I said, hey, what are you doing anything on Sundays now? And he said, well, uh, we're not going to a church, but here's what we are doing. So me and some of my friends, we, uh, we gather up, we go to a living room, and on Sunday mornings, we all eat brunch together. And it's great. We have mimosas. It's amazing. And, and we, just, we just do life. We just have uh, these, these real authentic conversations. And if a deep topic comes up, we'll just talk about it openly. And, and if a spiritual topic comes up, we'll just talk about it openly. And it's this cool thing. Now, I got to be honest. My honest reaction in my head when I heard him say this was, that sounds awesome, actually. I'd love to be a part of that. Like mimosas at church? 
I get in it. We're, I think we're going to have them next week. No, we will not. We will not be drinking mimosas at church. But I, uh, I was drawn to this, and I was drawn to, the, to the, these real conversations that we were having, thinking, man, this could, this could be really cool. Now, here's the thing. That what happened in, in John's day was that these Gnostics, they got caught up in sin, and they walked out of the church. And what happened a few years back is that my friend and his friends, they got caught up in sin, and they walked out of the church. Now, now let me clarify. I'm not trying to be this moral police today and, and beat people up. And God is not trying to, to kill our fun. Because God is not saying, hey, no, anything that's not, anything that's, sex is bad. No, sex is amazing. God created it to be amazing. And, and if Jesus did turn water to wine, he probably doesn't think that wine and alcohol is the devil. And it can probably be enjoyed. And God is a, a proponent of real and authentic conversations, right? But the deal is, is that, that mimosas aren't light. God is light. That, that sex isn't light. God is light. And so we've got to get our priorities straight of where light and life really come from. In this next verse, in verse 7, John says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Now, it talks about walking in the light here. And if we would back up to John 8, the Gospel of John, in chapter 8, Jesus, or, or John, refers to not God as light, but he refers to Jesus as the light of the world. Now let me tie this together a little bit. And so essentially the storyline of the Bible is, is it starts with God being light and he creates everything good. And then people come into it, and, and we rebel from God, and this darkness just emanates from us, out of us, into the world. And, and there's this darkness everywhere, and now Jesus is the lighting force in the world. To rescue us from that place of darkness and to bring us into the light, it is only through Jesus, the light of the world. And, and, and the way that we, if you want to go very, back to the very beginning, how do we experience true, life-giving, transforming, authentic community? The answer is as we turn from darkness and we turn to Jesus. That's how you experience true community. As you live in community and you turn from darkness and you turn to Jesus in light. You see, the, the things that my friends were missing was that true joy, true life, true authentic community doesn't happen when we're just real. It happens when we experience the forgiving transforming, cleansing power of Jesus. You see, being freed from an addiction is, is better than a, mo a mimosa. Experiencing intimacy with Jesus is, is better than sex outside of marriage. Repenting of sin and experiencing forgiveness is better than just having a, 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 an organic conversation. You see, a friend's brunch leaves you in your sin. But a true church community points out your sin, and points you to be transformed by Jesus. It's not you do you, it's Jesus changes you for the better. So if your heart is drawn to this kind of cultural authenticity and you find yourself kind of drawn to this, man, remember that light and life is found in Jesus alone, the light of the world. So some of you, 
have a tendency to fall that way into this idea of cultural authenticity. And some of us kind of tend to fall the other way. I happen to kind of fall both ways, and so I'm doubly bad here. But, but the idea is, so the first one is denying the darkness. The second idea I'm going to call covering the darkness. I'm going to look at verse 8 real quick to set this up. It says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So covering the darkness. So John here, he warns his church against another group of defectors in the church. And, and what was happening is there was these group, there was this group of people that, that came out of the church and they said, hey, here's the deal. We're perfect now. We're walking with God and we don't have any sin whatsoever. We're, we're great. We're, we're amazing. We're literally perfect people. And John comes in and he's like, okay, no, that's not possible. Anyone who denies sin is a liar. You're walking in darkness. Now, here's my concern for us with this. It's not that any of you think you're perfect and without sin, unless any of you do. Does anyone think they're perfect and without sin, by the way? Okay, we're clear on that. That's good. It's not that we think that we're perfect, but it's that we act like we are. It's in our hearts that we know we're sinners, but in how we function, we're not willing to actually admit it. Now, let me tell you how this works. So this last week, I was having a meeting with uh, with Tim Hall, and he's our, our kids and family ministry director, and and we're having a meeting one-on-one, and he said, hey, Jared, what's been the biggest struggle so far in church planting for you? He asked the question, and I paused. My wheels started turning. I'm like, man, I know I got a lot of sin, but should I tell him what the sin is? And then I think, man, is he going to think, like, I'm weak if I tell him what my sin is? And, and then I'm thinking, okay, is, is he going to, like, look down on me, think I'm, like, less of a man? And I think, oh, man, you know what? Maybe I'll cover up my bad sins and I'll tell him kind of my lighter ones so he thinks I'm better. Like, this is how this works, right? I think this kind of reaction is at the heart of boring Bible studies and, and, and fake, cheesy community and lame community in the church. You know that feeling of, of walking into a Christian function and, and walking out and, and saying, man, that was just really weird. Like, why aren't those people more normal? Why don't they just be friends with each other. Like, why when we were, we were taking prayer requests, why did that one girl ask for traveling mercies for her grandma's vacation? No one cares about her grandma's vacation. And at the same time, we know that she's struggling tremendously. Man, we're just crying out, man, just be real already. The, uh, this verse 8, it, it says that if we say we're not in sin, we deceive ourselves. And what that means is we need to face the facts, but we aren't. We're not facing the facts. We're messed up and we're hiding it. So if you want more authentic community, form a community that is honest and real about your struggles and your sins, but don't just stay there. 1 John 1, 9, the very next verse, it says, if we confess our sins... He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteous, unrighteousness. Christian community is called to confess. Confess to God. Confess to each other. We're called to confess. Now, here's the reality. Confession is scary. Confession, it, is, it leaves you vulnerable. 
it's intimidating to do. But, but I want to just for a second preach the good news of Jesus, highlight the good news of Jesus from this verse. The reason that we should confess our sins is because he forgives our sins. There is nothing too bad that you've done that Jesus has, can't deal with. There's nothing that you've done that you're scared of that he doesn't already know about. God is not sitting up in heaven with his arms crossed saying, man, I can't wait till these guys finally get it together to where I can finally love and bless them. we got to remember the gospel that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In our broken state, in our hurting state, in our sinful state, that's when Jesus died for us. We didn't clean up our act so he could bring us in. He cleaned up our act for us. If we confess our sins, he will forgive our sins. Man, if we act like we have it together and we're not willing to be humble and, and, we, and we don't confess anything in our city groups ever, and when we get together in our little huddle groups, we skip over that confession time, we will live in a perpetual state of shallowness. And Jesus is saying, hey, I know you're broken. I know you're sinful. Just come to me. Come to me for, for healing, for forgiveness. I'm here. I'm the light that heals. <clears throat> so my, uh, my whole childhood, uh, I thought I was a really, really good kid. Uh, and partly because uh, I didn't ever get detention in elementary school or middle school all growing up. And through high school and college, I never once touched alcohol. And all of my single years, I didn't have sex outside of marriage. And so I put myself on this really high pedestal, and I'm like, man, I am pretty amazing. <clears throat> and then I got into my mid-20s, and I kind of had a, a, a Jesus awakening moment. And it happened in an odd way. It happened through playing basketball. So I used to be decent at basketball, and I'm not anymore, but in my mid-20s, I was already a little bit out of shape, and I would go and play this open gym with these college basketball players uh, who were way better than me, and every time they would uh, kind of make me look bad, and, and every time I would walk out of there, I was incredibly irate. I was mad at myself for not doing better. I was mad at these other guys for making me look bad, for outplaying me. And after that happened, literally about 20 times in a row of this open gym that I went to, I stopped and I'm like, man, I messed up. Like something is wrong with me. And I started thinking about it and I'm like, man, I'm going to play a game with these guys and I hate those guys. I'm going to play a game with those guys and, and I literally hope they embarrass themselves. I'm wishing misfortune on them as we're playing this game together. That's not right. And then I thought, man, I've been doing that my whole life. I've been hating people, being bitter toward people, wishing misfortune on people my whole entire life. And I started examining my heart a little bit more, and I realized, man, I got some other stuff too. I got this lust problem, but I'm actually pretty good at hiding it. But but there's something wrong inside of me. But I kept it all hidden, and I could if I kept my distance from people, from community. I put this mask on, I put this image on, and, and, I, uh, and I put this up there so everyone else thought I was a pretty good kid too. Now, as long as we put forth this image, our community will be anything but authentic. It's going to be boring, it's going to be shallow, it's going to be 
judgmental. It's going to be draining community. But if we confess our sins, you know what happened when I confessed the fact that, that I hated people? You know what happened when I confessed the fact that I had bitterness and, and I judged people all the time? You know what happened when I confessed my sin that I, that I lusted all the time? Well, first of all, I realized that I was a lot worse than I thought I was. And then I realized that the forgiveness of Jesus was a lot greater than I ever thought it was. I mean, don't you guys want to be a part of a community who points you consistently back to the fact that Jesus is a lot greater than you realize? And then be honest. Confess your sins. Don't fake it. Let your community point you to Jesus. That's being authentic. <clears throat> this, uh, this verse, the beauty of this is that <clears throat> it implies that Jesus is changing us because it says that he cleanses, he forgives and cleanses in the present tense. He's walking in consistently and constantly forgiving and cleansing us. It kind of reminds me of, of when I taught my, my kids to walk and how I would grab them by the hands and I would walk with them and I'd let go with one hand and then they'd fall and then I'd pick them back up and then they'd fall again and then after a couple of days or a couple of weeks I'd let go of both of their hands and then they'd fall and after about, you know, 150 times of that, finally they kind of get the hang of it, and they'd start walking. And Jesus, in a similar way, is walking beside us, and we're falling, and he's picking us back up, and he's teaching us right next to us, through empowering us, he's teaching us how to walk in the light. And almost everyone I know longs for authentic community. <clears throat> and that community is found in Jesus. It's, it's found in, in, in people coming together around the name of Jesus and saying, hey, I'm messed up, and I need Jesus. Let's do this together. It's not about sweeping it under the rug of, of, of denying the darkness, sweeping it under the rug like the world's version of authenticity. It's not about covering it up and, and putting forth an image and being fake and putting on a mask. It's about real people admitting that they're sinners saved by grace. And I think that when we can be honest in this way with each other, when we, when we can point each other to Jesus in this way, I think we're going to start seeing more powerful community more intimate community, more authentic community, more of maybe like what we see in the book of Acts when we look in there. But it starts by turning from sin and turning to Jesus. And for this reason, this is why, why we have things like city groups here, right? We have smaller communities of people who, who get together, and they're a place where you can come and you can know people and be known by people. They're places where you can love people and, and be loved in this community. And so my hope, my dream would be that everyone that stands up and walks out of here, as you're walking out of here, my dream would be that you say, man, I got to get into some sort of Jesus-centered community. I got to get into some sort of community like a city group. And, and, and that you would then actually go and actually show up to a city group. And when you do, you would take your mask off and you would say, hey, here's who I am. I'm messed up just like you guys are, and I need Jesus, could you help point me in the right direction? <clears throat> That's authentic community. We also have, <clears throat> uh, in our church, we have these things called huddles. It's even a, a more uh, intimate gathering of two to three people of the same gender. We get together, um, <clears throat> and we have uh, multiple, I think four of our city groups have huddles that are a part of them, and these groups get together during the week, and they read through the Bible together. 
they confess sin together, and, and they pray for each other. We actually have a confession time built in there because we know it's awkward enough that if you maybe don't put it in there, people might avoid it. But we want people to get serious about sin because then you can get serious about Jesus. You can understand the goodness of the gospel. So I would encourage you, man, if you want to dive in deeper into city groups or huddles, I would love to talk to you about it. I'd love to connect with you about this. Now, as we wrap up today, um, a lot of times we'll, we'll circle up chairs, we'll have a little discussion on the back end of this, and uh, since you might be sitting with people who you don't know at all, even though honesty is a good thing, it could be a, quite a jump to talk about some of your sins, and so I want to push that out to city groups this week. I want to have you discuss that as you show up to your city groups. Uh, but now, I thought the most appropriate thing that we could do is actually reflect on our sin and reflect on Jesus and, and take communion together. So I'd love to invite our band up here and our communion servers up here for a second. <coughs> and I want to, uh, to have us just pause for a second and... And think about the fact that, that first of all, uh, we are prone to darkness. We're prone to live in that dark place. And the reality is, even when we're walking in the light, we're walking with Jesus, that darkness still nags at us. It still pulls at us. And we're, we're still pulled to, to make other things God instead of God himself. And so I would love to encourage you to take uh, a minute or two, and just reflect on the status of your heart. And if you have anything that you need to confess to God, he is willing and ready to forgive and cleanse you from whatever. So would you take a minute to reflect on that? And as you do that, as you confess that, as you come forward and get ready to be reminded of what Jesus has done for us, the body that was broken, the blood that was poured out for us, man, would you rejoice and celebrate in the fact that that sin it doesn't define you anymore. You're cleansed. You're forgiven. It's good news. You're in the family of God that Jesus has brought you to the family of God. And so we're going to take communion together. And anyone who's a follower of Jesus, we welcome you to take communion. The band is going to play a song. And feel free, whenever you're ready, you can come down front and, and our communion servers will serve you. And I love to just celebrate Jesus' power and victory over sin this morning.